continue to cry and have a runny nose. And uh, yes, men are allowed to cry, okay? We'll talk about that at some point, I'm sure, down the road. But thank you. It really does mean a lot to us. We obviously don't do it to be recognized. We do it out of a deep sense and robust calling that God has put on our lives to serve and to steward uh, in this season. And so I'm thankful. Our new elders, both of them weren't here, so we're going to put them under church discipline and remove them immediately. So when the next weekend, we'll bring them up for elder removal. Um, no. Pray for them. Steve and uh, Wanda, I think, are traveling, and uh, Marshall's a little under the weather, so you can pray for, pray for them this morning. Um, as part of this introduction, I want to talk, I want to speak to something that's happening in the room right now, and I try to do that. We get to do this once a quarter, but I try to be very intentional when we have this opportunity. So every fifth Sunday, so once a quarter on the fifth Sunday of the month, uh, we invite all of our pre-K and up kids in into the room. And we do that on purpose for a couple of reasons. The first is to give our volunteers a little bit of a break. Uh, we don't recognize them enough. We don't tell them thank you enough. And this is just a way to say, hey, listen, uh, thank you and come join us in, in worship. And the other is to teach our kids what it looks like uh, to be a part of a worshiping body. It's to, it's to teach them the songs. It's to teach them how to read their Bibles. It's to teach them how to, how to sit with brothers and sisters in Jesus and to participate in the life, in a life with Christ. And so we want to be very intentional every time we do this uh, to, be, to remind you to pray for them. Learn their names. Pray for them by names. Now, if, they, if we continue to have babies at the rate in which we're having babies, it's going to be very difficult. Um, there's a lot of complications that we're going to have, but we do want to just, as we, as we invite them in, kids, I want you to hear me say this, that we love you and that we're glad you're in here. Um, we do, Caroline puts a sheet together every week. If you don't have one, there's a clipboard out in the hallway. Uh, maybe ask your mom or dad to go grab and, and grab you one of those and some crayons and some snacks. We got all the things, okay? Uh, college students, if you're a little hungry, you can go get some Cheez-Its too. Uh, they're back there at the welcome table. So um, anyways, I just, I, I like to, I'd like to take every opportunity to speak to that. And um, my prayer, honestly, as the lead pastor of one of the elders, is I want to see every kid that wanders in here and runs awry in this gymnasium before church and after church, one day comes to know and love and trust and follow after Jesus. And uh, Next week, I'll talk about this at the very end. We're doing baptisms next week. I hope that that little horse trough is full of little kids uh, one day that have come to know and, and follow Jesus. And so that, that's our prayer, and I don't, I don't make any bones about that. So, all right, we are, if you're new here, welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, we'll slow down and jump. We're in Ephesians, the, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Uh, we, we've been in uh, Ephesians since like, basically the beginning of September or the start of the school year. We're going verse by verse like we do throughout all the books that, you know, that we're teaching. We're going to go verse by verse. One, so that we don't skip passages like the one that we have today. Certainly like we don't skip passages like the one we'll have next week, which I think is going to be really challenging with how we live our lives. But for the first half of this sermon series, it's been a lot about doctrine. And Jared did a great job last week of laying that out in this, in this pivot, this hinge that goes from who we are, who we've been declared as followers of Jesus, people who've been saved by grace through faith. Now, how do we live in light of that? And so we're in this point now in chapter four where Paul starts to lay out a really rigorous, a really robust game plan on how to live life because of who we are in Jesus. And so we do that on purpose, right? Paul does this on purpose. It's who we've been declared as a follower of Jesus. Now we live in this way. So Jesus doesn't love us more when we do these things, but we do these things because he's loved us to the point 
to die and to save us. Does that make sense? So I don't want legalism. I don't want effort uh, to start filtering in here. Like, oh, so all I have to do, if I can do these things, if I can check these boxes, then I know that I'm saved. No, it's because you've been saved. Now, now that you have the heart motivation, the soul motivation, the hands and feet motivation to do what Paul's laying out here. Okay, are we good there? So if you don't have a Bible, there's one on the end of each row on both sides. And uh, we're, on, we're on page uh, 918, I think, 919. And I'm going to read um, the first. We're going to take this in two kind of two big bites today. So we'll go from verses 17 through 24 and then take 25 through 32. Uh, the, first, the first half, if you will, are kind of back to doctrinal statements. Okay, these are the things that are being declared about who we are. And then we get the practical statements in the second half. And so let's start reading in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. I'm going to go down through verse 24, and then we'll press pause, and, and we'll exegete it a little bit and do some chatting, and then we'll pick back up in verse 25. This is the word of the Lord. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. Verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Notice the exclamation point if you're looking at an ESV translation. Verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and Holiness. So kids, if you have your little document, your first point is going to come on the screen. And again, I like to point these out for our kids, but it's not just for our kids. Okay, so adults, if you need a coloring sheet, we can get you one too. But in my notes, it's highlighted in purple, and that tells me this is a kid's point. Okay, this is for you. You've got, a, you've got some boxes to circle or fill in. But we've been given a new identity in Jesus, so we should live a life different from the world. Okay? We've been given a new identity in Jesus. Now we have a new name. We're a new family, a new heartbeat, a new life. Right? We were once, this is, this is Ephesians 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, in his, who's rich in mercy, has now given us life in Christ. Okay? So we've been given a new identity in Jesus, so we should live a life different from the world. I think the main point, guys, is I've been wrestling. So when I don't preach, like, so last week I was here, I did the introduction. Braden had his first little travel baseball tournament, which was legit awesome. Uh, they got hammered, but it's fine. We'll learn and get better. Um, I'm a, I was a baseball guy, so it's like this is, this is peak dad mode, right? So like, okay, we got new elders. Okay, I'm going to run up to church. I'm going to do this real quick, and I'm going to jet down there, and we're going to get beat 25 to nothing. It's going to be great, okay? Um, again, first tournament. They're playing against 12-year-olds. We'll put the ball in play. Let's go. All right, but, I, but when I'm not preaching, I can't stop thinking about like what the next time I'm going to be preaching, okay? So the, the, if I'm off a week, just know that when I come back, I'm loaded, okay? I'm locked and loaded. There's a lot of things that are going to be in here, probably going to be a little longer than normal, okay? So, but this idea though, as I'm looking at this chapter, all of chapter four, what Jared preached last week and this idea of new life now is that the gospel produces obedience, Okay? The gospel produces obedience. It's not obedience to the gospel. It's the gospel produces obedience in us. 
Okay, so that's the main idea as we, as we kind of take this text apart, is that the gospel produces obedience, that we should obey, right? I mean, we would, obey has become like the four-letter word of our generation, okay? Like, we don't like people to tell us what to do. We don't. And that's just bare bones of raw truth, like, you do you, okay, cool. No, Christ said, lay down your nets and follow me, and to follow me means you must die to yourself, Right? Obey me, follow and obey. That's his claim, that's his command. If you've been brought from deadness to, this isn't a word, but it's lifeness, right? If you've, been, if you've been brought from death to life, we are to follow his commands. It's who we are, and we can follow them in a sense of pride, of like, no, I'm a Christian, so I'm not gonna do the things that the world is telling me I should do. I'm not gonna fall victim to what the commercial said I should do purchase next or the thing I should watch on my phone too late at night when I should be not on my phone, right? So we're constantly slaying the giant of sin in our lives because of what Christ has done. So we look at our lives, and we're going to do this today in very raw detail, of like, no, the things that I see in my life, I want to crush them. The sin I see in my life, I want to crush it, not because it's somehow going to earn me more merit earn me more grace, but it's because now I understand the fullness of God's grace in my life that I hate those things, those giants in my life, right? When I keep falling back into the same thing, when you keep falling back, I mean, how many conversations, I'll get emails all the time or phone calls or texts, be like, hey, I'm back to where I was. I hate it. I hate it. It's like, yeah, this is called sanctification. (laughs) It is the process of growing daily more like Christ. And so you wake up and what do you do? What Paul says is you got to kill the old self, right? We're, we're now free from it. It no longer rules and reigns over your life, but it still is pretty tempting, isn't it? Isn't that the way it works? Like, you have a sin in your life, no matter what it is, and I'm not going to, like, single anyone out, single any one sin out, because I think it, the Bible is very clear that all sins are equal in God's eyes. All of it. Okay, so whatever the thing is that is in your life that you think is too bad for God to forgive, it's all the same in His eyes. Okay? Please hear that. Like, there is, God's arms aren't too short to reach to your sin. One of the things that we do is, if you have ever come to a Next Steps class, is we have you write your story, which is great. For a church that's growing, it's awesome for the elders to be able to read your story and what you've been saved from. And sometimes people kind of glance by, it's a very generalized statement, but sometimes people give us a lot of detail, and we're thankful for that, because it's like, there's no way for us to sit down and hear everyone's story, but this is an opportunity for us to read and hear what God has done. And sometimes you, you have this battle, it's like this teeter-totter of like, This is the sin. It's the center point of my life. And sometimes I'm okay with it, and sometimes I'm not. And it's like you're running back and forth, and as you do it, you get flipped upside down, and your life is wrecked, and you try to put the pieces back together. Have you ever been there? That's who Paul's writing to. This is exactly what's happening in the church in Ephesus. And so what we see here is that if our life isn't moving towards Jesus daily, it's not like you don't become Christ. Do you hear me? Like, it's not like, I was baptized. We're doing baptism next week, right? It's not like you go down in the water, whether it's hot or cold water, doesn't matter. It's going to be cold next week. If you want to get baptized, come talk to me later. And you come out and you're free, like you're no longer tempted by the sin of the world. It's not the way that it works. You got to continually pursue the word of God, pursue the presence of God in your life. And as you do that, those things become less appealing. They become less enticing, but not, not enticing at all. Right? You could be free from addiction for years, decades, and all of a sudden something triggers. And you're like, oh man, 
I'm going to go fall back into this thing. And now you're, you're back into where you were before, right? So Christian, the life of a Christian is this constant slaying of sin in our lives to look more like Jesus. Now, he's ultimately the one who slays the, the giant of sin. This is a song we just sang. Sin, death, defeat, the devil. He kills them. We don't. Right? But the Spirit, we, this is what we did in Acts, the Spirit is now in us, and now we have the power to recognize the sin in our lives. And you know what? Or I'm going to call on you to say, hey, listen, this is what's going on in my life. I need your help to kill it. Will you help me kill it? Right? And you're going to call me, and I'm going to do the same thing with you, and we're going to go to war together. That's what church is. That's what families do, right? And so as we do this, this is what we have to be mindful of. But I, I think I, as we look at this text, it's like if your life is not moving towards Jesus, I think the question is, have you really trusted him? That's real. Not like, hey, I messed up. But like if you're constantly pursuing the things of the world, then the question is, have you ever really trusted? Yeah, yeah, I know that you come to church every week because you make sure you come and say hey to me. Thanks for doing that, by the way. It means a lot. You might even be serving in a different area of ministry. Your life on the outside might really look pretty, but you're broken and far from God, right? Has anyone ever felt, I, th- this is so much of my life, right? I was, I, you go to church, you do the thing, you're like, ah, Jesus is going to one day say, I never knew you, right? And until you start going to battle for the sin in our life, and Paul's going to lay out over the course of the next couple of weeks very specific sins that the church in Ephesus we're fighting. Now, what's here's what's beautiful about time. It's the same sins that we're fighting today. Okay? This church, this letter was written a long time ago. It's still applicable to us today. So if your life isn't moving towards Jesus, the question you have to ask is, have you really trusted him? I'll ask the question, have you really trusted him? We want to be a people that's always moving towards Jesus. Verse 20 and 21, this is so much of what our heartbeat as a church is, comes out of these verses, right? So one of the things that we like to do, and you heard Riley not talk about it because he's talking about chili chowdown, which is I've never been to a chili chowdown. I've been here for five years. We're coming tonight. So if you're not coming, you should come, right? We've, anyways, I don't need to tell you why. It's just, it's never worked out. We were never invited. <laughs> but I just got a bunch of invitation letters, I'm assuming, so... Uh, we're going to come tonight. I, I'm excited. But one of the other things that we do beyond like nights of worship, which are ways that we do this together, like come and be encouraged. Let's sing songs because you need to be reminded. Let's pray together. Let's spend time in a different space than we're normally in and just worship God. Part of the, one of the other things that we do, we call them branch school of theology, where we're going to take the word of God in some specific topic and we're going to get out the scalpel and we're going to go to work. Why do we do that? Listen to verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Okay? If you like to write in your Bible, just maybe write, circle all of that. The truth is in Jesus. So when you're the thing, the sin creeps into your life and you're like, I don't know what to do. Right? When, you, when you say yes to that, when you say yes to the old stuff, well, you're saying no to Jesus in a very real way. Right? Would you agree with that? It's okay to do this. Okay? I know it's church, but we're allowed to do it. Okay? All right. Everybody okay? All right. This idea, though, of Christian education, really what Paul is hinting at is discipleship. So what is discipleship? Discipleship is a communal working towards Christ-likeness. Can you be discipled on your own? I'm going to ask for you to answer. No. 
No. Should every Christian be a disciple maker? Yes. Someone at some point in your life told you about the gospel. And if that hasn't happened, my name's Stephen. I'm about to do that for you. Okay? And then next week, if you come back, we're going to do it again. And we're going to continue to do it until they turn the lights off in this building or until Christ comes back. Okay? So all of us have had someone in our life who has pointed us towards Jesus. That's called discipleship. Someone who's taught us the ways of Jesus, taught us how to read our Bibles, taught us how to pray, taught us how to live in community. That's discipleship. It's community working towards Christ-likeness. So when, when you come and like, and a lot of you come week after week after week because that's what we do here. Sunday morning is a form of discipleship. Worship is a form of discipleship. What our kids are doing in the back room is discipleship. Inviting them in on the fifth Sunday is discipleship. Family groups, discipleship. Night of worship, discipleship. Chili chow down, not sure yet. Pretty sure it's discipleship. Okay? It's, it's time for brothers and sisters to come together and say, you know what? That old self is the worst. I hate my old self. Christ has come, and now in the renewal of my mind and spirit, I'm going to live in a new self, but I'm going to need you to help me button my shirt. Sorry. You get what I'm saying. New clothes, okay? This is what Paul's talking about. I'm, I still can button my own shirt. I'm sure there's going to come a day when I can't, and I may literally ask for some help, but today I've got it. All right? So this idea, though, of taking, it's this rhythm that Paul uses of take off the old self, renewal, put on the new self. It's not, it sounds easy. Is it easy? It's, it's not, is it? It's hard work. And if you're left to do it on your own, you won't. That's what I know about people. If you're left to do it on your own, you won't. And so Paul starts to lay out these examples, right? He lays out anger, jealousy, gossip, all of these things, whatever it is, you have to take it off. Because Jesus is better. He's better than that. And the good news is that God can transform anyone from anything because His grace is enough. If, if that really is true, then whatever the thing is in your life, you can find freedom from. Now it's still gonna, hey, you there? Are you there? I want your heart. I want your mind. And you got to keep turning to the Word of God, keep turning into community. One of the things that I've seen, I've been, in a, I've been in the church for a really long time, is most people let sin creep back into their life, and you know what they do? They retreat. They retreat from the only safe place where it's okay to say that you're not okay. Places like this. And they pull back. They withdraw from places like family group. They stop coming on Sunday mornings. They, you don't hear from them. You know people like that in your life? That is a cry for help. And if they truly are in Christ, if they truly are a Christian, there's something catastrophic going on in their life and they need people like us to call them, to text them, and to not stop calling and texting them. Because that's what we do when we share a table with the Lord who didn't stop pursuing us, right? Okay, here we go. Let's keep going. Kids, your second point that Christians should take off the old self and put on the new self. We need to be constantly reminded of our new identity. You have a new name, a new heartbeat, new life. God created us, but sin separated us. 
right? And what was broken was made new, was renewed through Christ. We're now new creations. This is the Bible's promise. You're a new creation. Amen to that? Anyone? Yeah. You are now a new creation. You know what that means? The old self no longer has reign on your life. All the stuff that you've been so ashamed for other people to know about, it no longer identifies with you. It's not who you are. You are now in Christ. And Jesus is going to look at you one day and he's going to say, he's mine. She's mine. And the baggage that you think you're carrying, he's cut off a long time ago. You just need to be reminded that it's not there. The shadow that creeps in the darkest night isn't there. You are now a new creation, a newness of life. Okay, verse 25. Let's go down 25 through 32. Now we start getting really practical. One of the things that uh, in school we would uh, study a lot is like this idea of doxology, which is worship, right? Our, our theology or what we believe about God informs how we worship God, but it's not just enough to know about God and to worship God. We also have to live like we've been called and commanded to. So we would talk about theology informs our doxology, which informs our practice. That's what we're about to do, okay? We're going to practice, like the little 10U baseball team. We're going to practice, okay? Because we don't want to stay where we were. We want to keep getting better, I, I was an athlete most of my, I still have a real competitive drive, okay, like we had a family uh, night here, yeah, my mom just, this is the first time she's ever said amen <laughs> on a Sunday morning, okay, she forgets that I have the microphone, all right, so it, I, I was raised in a house with boys, there's four of us, and we would fight like cats, and I mean, we just would battle over ping pong, okay, I mean, we, there, were, there are holes in sheetrock, there are doors no longer on hinges, uh, had none of it was anger, though. It was just righteous indignation, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit, okay? But we, like, so we had a family night here in the gym. This was a couple months ago, or maybe, I don't know, six weeks. And, and it was a competition. Like, uh, Caroline had put together this, uh, this scavenger hunt, and the Partricks were there to win it. Like, we're not coming to finish second. <laughs> Why? What did Ricky Bobby say? Second's the first loser, right? So we've always had this, like, and all of us are this way, like, we, if we're going to go do something, we want to be excellent at it, and we want to win, okay? And that's kind of a lot of how we, like, we start looking at this text, starting in verse 25, and it's like, I want to I be better. I want to do more, right? And I, we'll, we'll play this out here in a little bit, but we have practice now, okay? How we must live. I'm going to read verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Hinting back to the beginning of chapter 4, okay, the unity in the body. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give what? Say it. Grace to those who hear. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. In verse 32, 
Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now, this text is for next week, but I'm going to read the first two verses of chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So there's, a, there's, a, there's really five things that I want to point out here. The first is that those who walk with Jesus speak truth, okay? Those who walk with Jesus speak truth. This is in verse 25. So what does that mean? It means that we're, we're now fighting for truth. We're fighting for truth as a community, but we're fighting for truth as individuals, right? Because one of the things that I know is that as sin enters our lives, we like to lie to ourselves and say, it's okay. I didn't hurt anyone else. That's a lie. That's straight from the enemy. If God has said it is a sin in his word, then we should take it serious. But there's also this idea of communal lying. Lying is the worst, because you, now you never know. Like, I don't know. Did you, are you telling the truth now? Are you not telling the truth now? Right? I mean, this is one of the things that, especially for kids, hello, kids in the room, truth is better than falsehood. The consequences of telling the truth are far better than the consequences of lying. Okay? Always. Here's the, here, kids, this is going to be specifically for you. Maybe my kids, this is specifically for you. If you tell us the truth, we will fight with you. If you lie to us, we don't know how to fight for you. Okay? So, yes, maybe what you did wasn't right, but you've now told us the truth, and so now as we extend grace, we're going to help fight for truth in your life, not just the truth of your circumstance. Okay? A lot of good parents in the room. I know that we're all fighting the same battles together. All right? So, but lying devastates the unity of the body. Okay? Uh, divorce... The number one thing in divorce is falsehood. Whether it's financial falsehood, infidelity, whatever the thing is, it's someone's not telling the truth, and then someone else finds out about it, and then they're, now they're upset, right? And so what we have to do is we've got to be really mindful of being, we, we are people of truth. That's the only reason we gather on Sundays. If the truth isn't in the Word of God, then we have no business being here. So we are defenders and advocates of the single truth that the gospel of Jesus is big enough to save sinners. So no matter what the thing is, the gospel of Jesus is big enough to save sinners. We're called to be bearers of truth and speakers of truth and love. At, at the seminary I went to, there's this beautiful statue of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And on it, it says, uh, teach truth, love well. Teach truth, Love well. This is a place equipping men to be pastors. Teach truth. Fight for it. Never give up. Love them well. And you see, even in this image of Jesus bending down, the king of kings, y'all, bending down and washing the disgusting feet of his disciples, that image is teaching truth and loving well. And that's who we are as Christians. The second thing is that Christians, it's okay to be angry. Wait a minute. It says it right here. Let me read it. For those of you who have anger in your heart, that's not what I'm talking about, okay? We have a club that meets after church, but 
It says in verse 26, be angry and do not sin. So Christians, it's okay to be angry about the right things in the right way. Okay, and we see this lived out in Jesus. He gives us a great example. Um, some of you know the story. Jesus goes into the temple, and they turn it into a marketplace, his father's house. And what does he do? Wow. Flips the tables over, right? But he doesn't just stop there. Like this, that's righteous indignation. He was angry. Was his angry sin? Was it unjust anger? No. It was righteous anger. And he leveraged it for the people of God. Then what does he do? It says later in the Gospel of John that he fashioned a whip. Okay, so like there's this whole thing, and, and it's been going on for like the last couple decades, where we like to make Jesus really feminine. And this is a theological problem, okay? But we like to give him like a latte and a perm, and like he just had a manicure. Like the dude knew how to make a whip, and then he knew how to use it. I've used a whip one time in my life, legit. You know, I was uh, in college, and I had some... Um, I was going to say, we had some country boys on our team, and one of them had a whip, and I hit my own back with the whip. I never touched another whip, but Jesus knew how to make a whip, and he knew how to drive people out of the temple, okay? So he was angry. It's okay for us, to, if you turn on the news, right, and you see fractured homes, you see terrorism, you see war, you see anything that goes against the nature and character of God, it's okay to flip the table over. And then you have to go to, you have to start fighting. Like, it's not okay just to be angry and then to sit, stand by and be like, oh, we'll wait for the next flight home. You have to go to work. Jesus got angry. But angry, being angry isn't wrong. It's when anger starts festering in your heart where it becomes simple. I'm going to give you a quick example before I fall off the stage. Um, one of the things that's really fun about being in a college town is how many weddings we get to do. It's great. But part of weddings, I'm being serious, we, we love doing weddings. We love sitting and like having young couples come into our house and sit on the counseling sofa and, um, and just and, and start working through like what marriage looks like. So here's one of the things. The difference between premarital counseling and counseling is the proximity of where they sit on the counseling sofa. Okay? When you have a premarital couple, do you know what they're doing? They're all up on top of each other. They're sitting as close as you can get. There's not a button on the sofa between them. Right? They're holding hands. They're twirling their hair. They're looking at their ring. When you're doing marital counseling, they're on the opposite sides of the couch. You know? And they're like, I don't, even, I don't even want to say his name, you know? But one of the questions we'll ask, one of the questions we ask, this is the point, that's not the point, okay? One of the questions that we'll ask is how do you fight? We'll ask them. You just got engaged, it's cute. Just got engaged, sorry, I just pointed people out, they're probably embarrassed now. There's a lot of engagements in our church right now. But you just got engaged, how do you fight? Oh, we, we, we don't fight. Baloney. Just wait, it's coming, okay? But one of the things you got to do is you got to learn how to fight fair, okay? You have to learn to fight fair, which means men in the room, husbands in the room, you can't be the big dog, right? You can't come and be like, I'll be louder than you. I'm going to be bigger than you. That's not fair fighting. I'm being serious, so you can laugh all you want. And, and, and girls in the room, it's not fair for you to cry. <laughs> Let me lay this out. Here's what happens. I could have the best argument in the world. Megan and I never fight, okay? It's fine. But I could, I could be right. But if you start crying, I'm wrong. 
It doesn't matter what we're fighting about, right? And I've got a lot of girls in my house. As soon as they cry, it's like, ah, maybe I was wrong, you know? But you got to learn to fight fair. That's very practical, like marriage advice. You have to learn to fight fair, which means you have to learn how to end a fight. Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. I wish Megan and I had been married almost 14 years. Coming up, okay? Whoop, whoop, all right? We've had some, we've had some, like, tough nights. And I wish I could say, like, we never turned the light off. But we have. Very real ways. Like, we've been like, oh, I'm going to bed. Unloving. Bad leader. And then you know what happens? Because we love and we're willing to go to war with one another, for one another, is you, you roll back over. And it could be like 3 o'clock in the morning, and now she's even angrier because you woke her up, and you're like, hey, listen, I was wrong. I was either wrong in what I said or how I said it, right? We do this a lot, don't we? But don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, we're not, I don't expect for you to be perfect. I don't expect all our premarital couples to, to stay that way. I know that things are going to get hard. What you've got to learn to do as a, as a married couple is to fight fair. It's okay to get mad, but you have to know how to end well, okay? That's a little bit of a rabbit trail. You're welcome. All right, the third thing, and I'm going to start moving quick, all right? The new you isn't selfish, but is a giver. Verse 28, okay? Verse 28 says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he might have something to share, okay? So we, as we go to work, we're going to work in order to give, okay? And I think there's three real specific ways that we do this. Yes, it is, there's like this idea of like we go in so that we can give financially to people who are in need. But we, as we go to work, we have to go to work with mission in mind. We have to go to work with discipleship in mind. And we have to go to work with evangelism in mind. Our whole team, including the elders who are up here, all of us have worldly marketplace jobs. Every place that I go, I have to go there with that in mind. Now, that doesn't always mean that you're doing gospel conversations. But it does mean that I'm always fighting for it or doing work with that in mind. Okay? Public school teachers, same thing. The fourth thing that we see, this is verses 29 in 30s, that we build each other up with encouraging words. We build each other up with encouraging words. I think of all the things, and Andrew hinted at this a couple weeks ago, gossip will divide a church quicker than anything else. It will. Did you know? Or she said, it's always she said, isn't it? She said, no, I'm just kidding. But that's how we do that. We, and it's a little thing, right? It can start as a little thing. And what happens when that little thing, that little untruth is told, it becomes a big thing. And when those things creep into a church, it will split them like the Red Sea. And we have to be very mindful to not let corrupt talk corrupt our hearts. Because always, corrupt talk comes from a heart that isn't fully healed yet. Okay? I think it's one of the quickest and easiest ways to extend grace to someone is through what we say about them to other people. Okay? Even people who sometimes it can be hard to like. What you say about someone to someone else is the best way to extend grace to that one person, okay? Because all of a sudden, if, I, if it comes back to me that, that someone said something kind about me, but I didn't hear it from their lips, I heard it from someone else, that means a lot more than you just come directly to me, okay? That's the way our human nature works, our human hearts work. I'll give you a quick example, okay? Uh, when I was in, uh, I just finished the eighth grade, going into the ninth grade, I got called into the coach's office. Coach sat me down, and I'm like excited. Like, new school, new team, new coach. I'm about to play. Wasn't about to play. Sat me down and said, son, there's no room for you here. You're never going to play at this school. I was 14 years old. Well, you know what that did? Like, one, it crushed me. 
like devastated. You're like, what? I just got here. It never seems like a long time. You know, like I didn't even have hair on my legs yet. You know, it's like five foot nothing. What it did is it lit something inside of me. And I went to work. There wasn't a kid who worked harder. That's what we do. Words matter. They're powerful. They cut us deep. And there'll be times now, 38 years old, I'll look back and I'll be like, man, I still feel like that. That feeling, I still feel it. Has anyone said something to you or about you that cut you deep? Has it ever happened? So we have to be mindful as followers of Jesus to use our words to build people up. And you are good enough. Okay? I wish I could go back to that little 14-year-old boy and be like, you're good enough. You may never play, but you're good enough. All right, last thing. We are to be kind and forgiving. Verse 31, okay? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's the key. We are only able to forgive when we remember that we have been forgiven. Be kind and always move. Kids, this is your last point. Be kind and always move towards forgiveness. This is really easy to say. It's really hard to practice. Because in the sinful nature of our own hearts, we like to hold a grudge. We like to, nope, I don't want to talk to you anymore. We got to fight for forgiveness and fight for kindness. So as we close, I think this line rings true, that we must choose between truth or falsehood. We must choose between truth or lies. We must choose sinful anger or righteous anger. It's one or the other. We must choose to steal or to work hard. We must choose rotten talk or gossip or wholesome talk and encouragement. We must choose bitterness or compassion. You can't choose both. So as Paul lays out who we are in Christ, he gives them this playbook of how to live. We pursue holiness for the good of our neighbor. That's why we don't lie. That's why we don't steal. That's why we don't cheat. We pursue holiness for the good of our neighbor, for the pleasure of God, in an imitation of and appreciation of God's work in us through Christ. That is who we are. The gospel produces obedience. The gospel produces obedience. As we close our gathering, we're going to go and respond now through communion. As you take bread and dip it in the cup, be reminded of that. The good news that God saves sinners and through his saving of you, now you can be a beacon of hope and truth, kindness and forgiveness in the world. Maybe for some of you, the question of you never knew him rings true for you, and you do know him, and you haven't been baptized in, in a very real way. I want to call you to be baptized, because it's important. It's a declaration that you have been saved, brought from death to life, and it would be our honor to celebrate that outside next week with a lot of towels, warm towels, all right? Know that we love you. We're very thankful to go, to do this, to live this out together as brothers and sisters. Let's pray now. Father, we are grateful for a time to gather uh, together, to worship you, to be reminded that the gospel produces obedience. And so for each of us, in our own ways, in our own uh, sinful 
nature and our own sinful hearts, God, would you remind us in the nights where things seem too difficult or too hard or too dark that you are better, that Jesus is better, and that there are people sitting right next to them right now who are willing to walk with them in Christ-likeness. And so would you raise us up in the ways of Jesus now and forever? We love you and we pray these things in the beautiful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.